Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Your host is Michelle Beck. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, thrivers, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Michelle Beck. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network, and thanks for joining us today. My name is Michelle Beck. I'm a two-time nine-year survivor of breast cancer. I'm the patient programs assistant at Breast Friends. And when I have time, I write at a blog called I Never Liked Pink. Before we get started with our guest, I wanted to remind our listeners out there that I'm going to be putting together Warrior Stories episodes. We had one back in July, and it was fabulous. So check it out if you haven't. But email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org with your stories of inspiration, what helped you through your cancer journey, or how your life has changed for the better since cancer. Submission should be five minutes or so and in your own words. But let's get started today. Our topic is so important and not discussed enough. And I'm going to put it out there right now. Not that any of you are generally listen to this podcast with your kids, but adult content warning, because today's show is about sex. So when you're diagnosed with cancer, sex and intimacy are the last things on your mind. You're in survival mode. You're just trying to get through treatment. And, you know, that kind of goes out the window. But what about when you're ready to get to get back into it, to get back in the saddle, intimate with your partner, you know, male or female? And it's just not easy to do because there's so many physical changes in our body, but also emotional changes that we're, we're really not taught ever how to handle those things. So my guest today is Gretchen Lee. She's a sex educator here in Portland who really knows her stuff. I've actually had the pleasure of seeing her and her mom do a presentation on this a few years ago. And her mom, Leslie, is going to be on in a few months with us, which I'm so excited about talking about survivorship. So that's at the end of October. So don't miss that one either. But anyway, Gretchen works at this amazing store called SheBop. It's an adult boutique which specializes in body safe toys, books, and sensual products. And the first time I went to the store, I was a little nervous because, you know, it just, you get nervous going into an adult store, but this is definitely not one behind closed windows and dark stores with creepy people in the aisles. And it's so, it, it looks like a spa, like you go in and it's, it's well lit and it's beautiful. And literally everyone who works there is incredibly knowledgeable and they just know their stuff. So um, right now, thank God we're in Portland. God, I love this place. They have two two locations. One of them is still open on Division. And you can also um, go to Shebop Shop, I believe, .com to look online. But Gretchen, thank you so much for being here today. And tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to talk this morning about all this good, juicy stuff. Um, as Michelle mentioned, my name's Gretchen. I am a sex educator. And yes, I work at the fabulous mystical place, Shebop. Um, <laughs> and it just, you can shop online. It's sheboptheshop.com. Just oh, was to close. have that clear in case anyone is, you know, frantically writing down notes as mm-hmm. you go. Uh, Shebop, Shebop the, the shop. shop. Mm-hmm. That's right. Sheboptheshop.com. But if you Google uh, Shebop sex store, you know. It'll come up. It'll come so. up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I'm a sex educator. I have been doing this work for about seven years, which is feels like a long time uh, that I've just kind of been in this sex world and slinging dildos for a living. And when I am not Love uh, it. doing that, I 
also work in personal training and strength coaching. Fun fact about me, I, I do competitive weightlifting and coach other people to do the same thing. Awesome. So I get to spend all of my days talking about people's bodies and getting to watch people do cool things, whether it's about sex or it's about fitness or it's about strength in emotional or physical ways. So pretty blessed life i'd say <laughs> that is really cool i had n- i did not know yeah. about the the weightlifting and strength training Fun fact. and it's it's really amazing because our bodies are they all work together in sync like right. you can you know this part might work and that part might not but you can really help people in a lot of ways because you are just you know you, you've learned so much how did you get into the sex education portion you know, I you mentioned my mom, which is funny. Mm-hmm. I love that. I, I love my mom dearly. Leslie Heron, everybody of Green Labyrinth. Um, I, I, I feel that I owe my interest in sex ed and my comfort talking around sexual topics to my upbringing. I had a really sex positive childhood. That's exactly and what I was thinking yeah. in my head. Very sex mm-hmm. positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I was raised, you know, knowing that sex is a thing that people do for pleasure and for reproduction. There's all kinds of reasons why people have sex and there's all kinds of reasons why people choose not to have sex. And however you would like to have sex with whomever you would like to consensually is all good for you. And I think it was, you know, in large part, that background that allowed me to be able to find my own interest in sexuality and start realizing when I heard things out in the world that didn't ring true to me or mm-hmm. sounded judgmental that you know, there's so much secrecy around sex and there is so much shame around sex and having just a, a little bit of a leg up in being able to understand sex in a different way, I think uh, pushed me forward into realizing like there's a whole world and sexuality out here. That's not getting talked about that. It, the doors aren't open for people to discuss. And I really endeavored from a pretty young age to be a person that could talk about those things and could be a safe person for other people to come to. And then that, that drove my own interest in, in being interested mm-hmm. in sex academically and then professionally. So it's been kind of a long journey to get there. And then learning about sex after cancer, I will you know, say right off the bat, I am not a medical professional. Um, that is that is worth saying. I'm not a medical professional. I'm not a sex therapist. Uh, I am just a person who who cares a lot, <laughs> and I, I do know a fair amount about bodies, and I do know a lot about products. Um, and I've been doing this work just because I think it is really freaking important and an underserved population, and creating a, a go between between the medical world and the sex positive world when people aren't. Not everyone who is a survivor of cancer is wanting to have the wildest sex in the world and wanting to just like, you know, I don't whatever kind of wild sex act you can think of. But unfortunately, just wanting to have any kind of sex, just (laughs) wanting to like have your body respected and Mm -hmm. be able to experience pleasure and be able to connect with yourself and or a partner. And unfortunately, in the medical world, that's not if you're not banging down the door being like, Mm -hmm. my sex life, ah, if you're not the one bringing it up, I hear so frequently that doctors and providers also aren't bringing it up. They're not. Yeah. So I, that's, this topic became important to me because I wanted to create that go between of, of a place that like, it's okay to be sexual. It's okay to not be sexual, but you deserve to have your questions answered about your body and you deserve to feel and experience pleasure. So that's, Mm -hmm. you know, how I, how I got interested in this. 
That's awesome. And you, you'd mentioned a couple of things that I want to go back and talk about. You say you're not a medical professional, but your mother is, she's, <laughs> she's a nurse um, true. and, yes. and ha- you know, she's much more than that, but you guys have worked together for so long. I, you, I know you've gained so much by osmosis, but I know you've also done so many presentations and seminars and with um, another group that I'm here part of in town, PDX Young Survivors, where you go in and you answer all these questions and, but you're also listening like, okay, what are these, what do these people want? What do these women need? And it's really funny because I was talking to a friend about my sh- this show yesterday and we can, we, we were really discussing the fact that we do all these intimate acts and, you know, when quote unquote in the dark and, but then we can't talk about them mm. with our partners who are supposed to be, whether it's, whether it's just for fun or your soulmate, we're, we're doing all these things, but we can't talk about it. And it's, it's really important to open those lines of communication because as a woman who's gone through cancer, my husband has no idea what I'm feeling in my body if I don't talk to him. Yeah. And even, and we, well, we had been married for f- uh, five years, my first round of cancer, and we had a healthy, you know, active sex life. And then boom, you have cancer and everything just changes. And it's there. It was funny. I, okay. Listeners before the show, I told Gretchen, I'm like, I'm an overshare, but my husband is not. So I, I'm, you know, <laughs> that's going to go out the window really soon. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I know there, I was not, I was lucky enough to not have chemo, but I know there's a lot of things that can, that is definitely the first thing almost that disrupts many women who've had cancer, their bodies. And it, it, you get nauseous, you feel like crap all the time, you gain weight, you lose hair. And that really changes your body image, which is one of the first things that can really lead to, oh gosh, I definitely don't want to be intimate with, with anyone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Body image is a huge thing. And I think that it's it's this especially nasty combo when it is body image and physical changes in terms of your appearance. And it's also emotional, your relationship to yourself and your body and things changing outside of your own control. And then it's also physical things like experiencing nausea, like you mentioned, and pain and suddenly touch either feeling numb or like a hot spot, way too sensitive. And all those things together where you're like, cool, I don't connect to the way that I look necessarily anymore. I feel like things are happening outside of my control. My body doesn't belong to me and Mm -hmm. I can't connect to the way that I'm being touched. And then then maybe it's completely different, like you mentioned, from how someone has experienced their body and their intimacy before. And that is, it's just, it's an incredibly hard cycle to go through. I I can absolutely Mm -hmm. validate that. And there are a million ways out there that we can try and, uh, you know, combat that or come back from that. And I'm sure we'll talk about a number of those, but at the same time, I think it's important to just pause there and say like, yeah, that's super hard. And we, we talk a lot in sex education about sexual scripts that people are offered. And that, like you said about needing to do things in the dark, doing all these intimate acts without being able to talk about them, a lot of what we chalk that up to is that in our kind of sex negative culture and society, we're offered these sexual scripts of how we're supposed to interact with partners, interact with our family, what we're allowed to talk about and what we're not. And even up to the point of like how if you go on a date that's going to get sexual, we have somehow learned in our brains what that sexual script of that 
evening is supposed to look like, what acts are supposed to be on the table, what aren't, how your body's supposed to respond. And then when, if you follow the script, you can just pack it up at the end and be like, aha, it, I did it successful and move on. And I think we can all step back and notice like, okay, clearly that is problematic. <laughs> That's wrong. 100% yeah. wrong. <laughs> and, and at the same time, it feels almost impossible to escape this really normative idea of what sex in a body is supposed to look like and sound like and feel like. And then when you go through something that just takes away your ability to follow that script at all, mm-hmm. on the one hand, is suddenly you are left like really naked and vulnerable being like, oh no, now I have to find my own script. And not, not in have- a good way. <laughs> Like I have to come up with my own thing to say. I have to like acknowledge and embrace that this is the body I'm bringing to the table. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have to come up with all of that yourself. And on the other hand, like if I could put a a silver lining spin on that, perhaps is that one thing that we're like constantly striving for with clients and sex education is to encourage people to create their own sexual scripts. Like mm-hmm. if people that have no, haven't, haven't gone through chemo, haven't gone through cancer, et cetera, could take to heart that we can be so served by needing to create our own sexual scripts, by deciding to create our own sexual scripts and mm-hmm. how we want our own experiences of our body to go, how we want to relate to ourselves, how we want to relate to our partners. There is a lot of juicy, juicy goodness in that, but being pushed into having to do that, it can be really It's incredibly powerful, challenging. Really and hard. For myself and many women out there, I chose a prophylactic hysterectomy and removed my ovaries because my cancer twice was hormone positive. So for me, it was like, I didn't need my ovaries anymore. They're gone. And, but no one really talked to me about, oh, well, you're going to get thrown headfirst into surgical menopause, which is a bitch. Um, (laughs) There's no other way to describe it. And I, as I'm sitting here, I'm having a hot flash. I had my, my hysterectomy four years ago and still my body is like, mm, no, I, I have, I have no hormones, which for, for me personally, um, the hormones are what it's what for, it's what sparks that desire. Like, Ooh, like you get that feeling where someone looks at you and you're like, Ooh, I want to go do some dirty <laughs> things, not dirty things, but you know what I mean? Some, some sure. fun things, fun things. Um, and I don't have that anymore. I, I love my husband. I'm definitely attracted to my husband, but you know, he can look at me and I'm like, okay, I know what he wants, but what does my body want? And that's really, it's so challenging. And also if you, if you haven't had, you know, menopause or whatever, um, the lack of hormones, it, it literally makes your vagina and everything shrink atrophy. There's no very little lubrication. And for me, a cisgendered hetero woman who would like to have, you know, physical intercourse, it's challenging because my body has changed so much. And we really have had to learn different ways to combat this. And um, I've heard some people talk about this like expression, like if you don't use it, you lose it. Um, And I I think that's really, it happens here for someone in my case. And, you know, we need to figure out ways to combat that. Totally. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things you said there. One uh, was about your your history pre-menopause of having that kind of, you see someone across the room and then you're like, ooh, I'm feeling kind of something mm-hmm. cooking up down here, which that uh, there's a really incredible book 
out there that I would recommend people read if you're interested in getting kind of sciencey about bodies and about desire called Come As You Are. It's by <gasps> Dr. Oh, yeah, have you read it's it? In my, it's mm. in my list. My oh, acupuncturist told me about that. She goes, you totally. have to read this book. Yeah, it's, so, it's next on my list. It, it's Come by as you Dr. Are. <laughs> Emily Nagoski, who is an incredible re- researcher all about sex and sexuality and desire. Um, but that that you referred to, she refers to that as spontaneous desire, which is... Uh, it's normative in our culture. It's what we aspire to have is this spontaneous desire, which is that like the doors closed on the elevator and you're a sexy person standing next to you. And you're like, we have three minutes, you know, and it down <laughs> and dirty. but for most of us, regardless of medical history, regardless of menopause, for most people going throughout their lives, we experience more of what's called a responsive desire where mm-hmm. it's things have to build up. We have to decide to have sex or have sexual stimulus already and get things cooking to get your brain and your body on the same page that like, I could do something sexual right now. And when you've experienced trauma, when you are going through hormonal changes, all of that, then that responsive desire becomes even more prevalent. That sometimes that spontaneous desire is just far away. It's well underneath the surface. And we need more of that kind of upfront stimulus to help coax our sexuality back out. And that's totally okay. Um, And I think it's more common than we think that it is, especially when someone has gone through something hard or your body's going through changes that make you feel a little bit more out of touch with it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just need a little more time, a little more intro uh, to, to get things cooking. Yeah. You have to give yourself some grace because yeah. this is, this is not easy. And it's like, as much as like, I want to be intimate and I want, I want to have that connection. I've had to realize over the past few years that it looks different for me now. Yeah. And that's, that's unfortunately something that many cancer survivors have had to go through. It's our bodies are different. Our brains are different. How we feel about our bodies are different. And so um, that's why we're here today. But we do have to take a quick break. So Gretchen and our listeners, hang out for a couple minutes. We'll be back. Remember, those of you out there, you can make a donation on our website or by texting BF Radio to 41444 to help Breast Friends continue on its mission to ensure that women don't go through cancer alone and get their sex questions answered. So stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. 
To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for sticking with us. I'm Michelle Beck, and my guest is Gretchen Lee, a sex educator, and we've been talking about sex and intimacy after cancer. And Gretchen, I'm going to jump back to one thing because I saw your face light up when I said it. Um, If you don't use it, you'll lose it. So let's go back to that. Yeah, absolutely. I did want to say something about that because it is totally true. I, the, unfortunately, you know, and I, of course, like that's a, it's a dramatic saying, and maybe it's not true to that extent. It's not like if you don't have a certain kind of sex that suddenly you're going to lose everything. Um, I will, you know, I'm not going to try and be alarmist about that, but unfortunately with any kind of muscle, any kind of tissue, if it doesn't get a lot of blood flow, if it doesn't get a lot of activity, if it doesn't get a little bit of a workout, and I use that term generally, then unfortunately that tissue can start to atrophy. And sometimes that takes a long time. um, And sometimes it takes not very much time. And that's really dependent on the body and what your body is going through and what your stress level is. A lot Mm -hmm. of different factors can affect how quickly your tissue atrophies. But it is a true fact that if things become a non-sexual, dormant for a while, and then they become a, oh, I don't want to deal with this, or uh, this feels mm-hmm. uncomfortable, and so then I'm going to ignore it. And then, you know, the, the pants start staying on all night, and then we're like, I'm just going to ignore this part of my body. Then, unfortunately, that tissue is going to start to have some issues. And mm-hmm. I am definitely, I am a advocate for people having any kind of and whatever kind of sex that they want and feels good to them. And if that means that someone's not interested in sex to orgasm or sex with a partner or that doesn't have a lot of sexual feelings, that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. What I would encourage is as a, a way to decrease pain and keep the tissue of your body happy and healthy, allowing for some blood flow and some movement in the area. So even that, if that is stretching and doing some pelvic floor exercises, or if that is an external and internal massage, those kinds of things are totally reasonable ways to use your pelvic floor, use your vaginal muscles, use the tissue of the vagina. Mm-hmm. Those are just as reasonable as having sexual intercourse, masturbating, that kind of thing. But getting your tissue, your pelvis, your actual vaginal skin um, some love every so often to keep it in the game is going to be a huge way to decrease the risk of atrophy and help things stay happier and healthier and working with the rest of your body as a system for a good long time. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned the masturbation because I had read in a post recently that someone had actually said their, their female doctor, thank you, female doctors, <laughs> not that, not that my male doctors are not great, but they just don't get it all the time. Um, that to really help against help the the use it or lose it was masturbation. If you don't feel like being intimate with your partner, try some by yourself. And while you, while you still may not have that desire, it will, it will help keep all the the parts functioning as best as they can. Um, But what if you're still doing all of those things and, and your body's like, eh, you know, (laughs) I, I, I'm just, I'm just not into it. How, how can you help create that intimacy again um, when you're so vulnerable and y- you're just, you feel kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. Like if, if say if you're, you're with a partner, you know, male or female, and you just, 
like what, how, how do you even get started? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, one thing, thing that I think is a huge, I'm go, okay, I'm going to reference Come As You Are again. It's a great book. <laughs> Everyone should read it. Um, one lesson to take from this research around desire and arousal is about these two systems that we have at play, our sexual inhibition system and our sexual excitation system. And that we need, I, one of my favorite metaphors for these is like the brakes and gas in a car um, and your inhibition system is like pumping the brakes and your excitation system is laying a foot on the gas. And if we think about when we talk about, um, I actually also teach about this in a class called Carnal Creativity with my wonderful colleague, Amory Jane. Um, we do a lot of demos around these things that we know to make sex, quote unquote, more exciting. People often think like novelty, new, fun stuff big flashy stuff, edgy stuff, kinky stuff, like all this kind of things to throw at our sex life to be like, we want to make it more exciting. We want to spice it up. And that is all gas pedal stuff. That's all excitation, which can be great. That's kind of stuff is fun. If it works for you, awesome. And if that kind of stuff is not working for you, there's a good chance that that's because something is just jammed on those brakes and Mm -hmm. is like, Nope. And you can floor the gas, but you're just going to flood the engine without going anywhere. And And you're still going (laughs) to stall and not do anything. Exactly. Yeah. So thinking of ways that we can take a foot off the brakes, and that might not lead to suddenly now we are rolling on the floor in passion for hours, but things like making sure you've got a bedroom or space that is set to your needs, if it's clean, if it smells nice, if the kids are taken care of, whatever that is, or if it's asking for reassurance and being like, I've got this big hang up about the way that my skin or my whatever looks like right here, or this spot really hurts when it's touched. And I am so scared of it being touched and that that's going to ruin the mood, putting those things out there so that we can Mm -hmm. start removing the pounds of things from that brake pedal. So that hopefully then once our foot can come slightly off the brake, we can allow ourselves to move forward into a sexual experience. So that is a thought that I keep with me a lot of being able to create an environment, whether that's through communication or open vulnerability or creating an environment that feels sexy or safe or whatever that looks like for you uh, to to have an environment that allows for sex to even happen in the first place uh, can be a super important start. Now, so you mentioned communication, which is super important in any kind of relationship, or even if you're just out for, you know, a one night of fun sex. Um, but do you recommend, so that you really need to talk about these things because as the cancer person who's gone through all of these changes and all of these feelings and the body image, it needs to be discussed with your partner. Do you recommend doing it out of the bedroom mm-hmm. or, you know, it, it, not definitely not in bed after a failure, you know, uh, after a huge brake pedal. How, how do you think you should talk about it to start? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, a couple of years back, my mom and I did a class for uh, the stupid cancer conference mm-hmm. all about for, for young adults with cancer, all about dating and online dating uh, as a cancer survivor or someone oh. who's going through cancer treatment. And one of the big things that came up in that is this conversation around disclosure, which mm-hmm. so if we're thinking about new partners, then mm-hmm. that's a question of like, okay, are you figuring out, are you even open to dating people who might not get it? Some people are like, I actually only want to date people who've gone through intense medical stuff too. 
because mm-hmm. I don't want to feel alone. I don't want to exactly. feel like I have this history and this story that I, that won't be understood, which if that's your boundary, awesome. Like do that. It makes sense. And if you are going to be dating people who might not be able to share that experience with you, then you ask yourself the question of, okay, what do I, what do I want them to know? And more than that, what do I need my partner to know? And it is, it's uncomfortable to disclose, it's uncomfortable to disclose anything sometimes in the, with our sexual scripts that we're given, we're told that anything that makes your body weird or different, that's on you and it's bad and you have to like, your partner might leave you. There's all of this fear around that, unfortunately, but I'd encourage, I would encourage disclosure of some kind earlier on in the process. And if this is a long-term mm-hmm. partner, then hopefully they know what you're going exactly. through and they've maybe been mm-hmm. there with you. Um, but disclosing outside of the bedroom, like you mentioned, is a great idea. I usually recommend people have any kind of sexual conversation outside of actually having sex because mm-hmm. this fear of ruining the mood or whatever that looks like for you is so strong that it can really affect the way that we have those conversations up to and including just not having them at all. If you're worried, like mm-hmm. you're worried that someone is going to have an adverse reaction to something, you're worried that someone's going to ask you too many prying questions and it's easier to just kind of fake it till you make it then those conversations might not ever actually happen. And we might end up having bad sex or no sex at all because we're avoiding talking about the thing. So I would encourage talking about it before you get into a sexual experience and picking a few things that you want to make sure that you communicate, write them down. If that works for you, Um, offer the conversation of why, why you're having the conversation. Like, I really want to have sex with you tonight, or I really want to go on this date with you, or I'm so excited for us to rekindle some of the intimacy that we've lost. But there's a couple things I feel like I need to make clear so that I can really let myself get into it. You know, coming up with why it is that you want to talk about it and communicating that point. And partners, it's our job to listen to that and understand how freaking hard it is to disclose things about your body that maybe are not your, their favorite parts, like the things that we didn't choose, the things that we didn't, that we aren't excited to shout to the world to say that we're different and we're going through this thing. It's scary and hard to have to share that kind of information sometimes. So as partners, 100%. Yeah. So as partners, our job is to sit there and thank our person for being so open, thank our person for letting us know how to take care of them and ask follow-up questions that allow for more pleasure. If somebody tells me I'm, I have, I'm pretty self-conscious about XYZ because of everything that I've gone through, I can ask follow-up questions like, is there any particular way you'd like me to touch that part of your body? Or how would you like me to refer to that part of your body when I'm, when I'm admiring how gorgeous your body is? Like, I can ask follow-up questions to create an environment that, again, feels safe, that feels sexy, that allows for sex to happen. And I love the I love the writing things down because uh, <laughs> many many of us out there, myself included, I didn't have chemo, but I had cancer, and yeah. I have cancer brain. I can't remember shit. Sure. And especially if I'm getting into a conversation where I feel so vulnerable, and it's so important. Like I, there's, I know over the the nine years that I've been through my cancer experience, there's been a lot of tears because, and like even though I know it's not my fault things that have happened to my body have changed our relationship 
and our lives. So I feel incredibly vulnerable when talking about this and nothing, it has nothing to do with my husband or his response. I'm very fortunate um, in that aspect, but it's me. It's, I have a hard time talking about it because Mm. my breasts were removed and reconstructed. My ovaries were removed. Essentially all my quote unquote societal female parts other than my external vagina have been removed. And so how do, how do I become that sexual person again? Um, so it's, those conversations are so important and there may be tears and anxiety, but to, to really get back into the, the sexual and intimate experiences, no matter how they will work in the future or how they will change, you have to have those conversations. Yeah. And so once, once these conversations happen, how, like, I know you're, you're kind of an expert on, on the things that we can use <laughs> and you can do how let let's dig into um, lube. How do you, how would you combat um, vaginal dryness? Because whether or not you've had your ovaries removed, um, even as we age, um, this is a challenging part for women and, no matter what you're, if you're trying to put something in there or not, or even just, you know, touching the clitoris, if you don't have that lubrication, it's not so fun and not so comfy. Yeah. So let's dig into that. Absolutely. I have so much to say about lube. Um, (laughs) Lube is great. And I will also just validate, this is another one of those things that it's like a a well-kept secret in sexuality that we all have to figure out on our own that lube is great. And as someone who sells lube for a living, it's no secret to me, but it's shocking. I think every single day that I am working in the shop, someone comes in and is buying a sex toy that's made of a grabby, sticky material. And Mm -hmm. we say like, oh, do you need any lubricant with that? And people will say, oh, I don't use lube. I don't need that. What the hell? you are wrong. <laughs> and I, I say that jokingly. I'm not one to tell people their sexuality is wrong, but at the same time, and I've heard many people be like, Oh, I I'm still young. I don't need that. Like, which is a huge fallacy around loop. So many of my colleagues are in our late twenties and we're like, I use lube. Okay. <laughs> like, you know, it just lube's great. It is a short story about that. And it can make all kinds of sex and sexuality more pleasurable. So I would say it is great to have a lube on hand. And even if you are one of those people that is like, I'm a waterfall down here, I don't need <laughs> it. You can keep it on the bedside table. And someday when you decide you want to try it, I bet you'll love it. <laughs> and there, from, from my knowledge, I, there is a difference between the type of lubes you use with your bodies and with toys. Is that correct? Kind of. There are a lot of different kinds of lubes. There are three main categories of lubes and that's based on what they're made out of. So Mm -hmm. we've got a silicone, oil, and water. All of them, if you get them designed as a lubricant and especially somewhere like Shebop that sells body safe products, you're Mm going to go home with a product that is safe for your body. Hopefully we can't, you know, of course, guarantee individual chemistry, all of that, but something that has been designed to be used internally safe for most bodies. Um, But between those, you want to keep your silicone-based lube away from any silicone toys. And the majority of sex toys made these days are made out of silicone. So Mm -hmm. silicone is what uh, condoms come coated in. So that is silicone lube. There's nothing wrong with it. If you're using things like condoms and other barriers, it's likely you've already been introduced to silicone lube. It's thin in texture and goes and goes and goes, but it's just not compatible with your silicone toys because it will bind to itself and kind of gum up the material, start to rip it apart. So either 
water-based lube or what about oils? Because I've heard yeah, some people just grab coconut oil out of their kitchen totally. and that's what they keep on their nightstand. Yeah, there is nothing wrong with coconut oil. Um, coconut does have some natural antifungal, antibacterial properties, which sounds great. But if you have a really, really sensitive bacterial system, it's possible that it can start to wreak some havoc with your own internal bacterial system. That's not super common, but it can happen. So mm -hmm. I would, if you so know pay, yourself, pay to attention be, to your body. Yeah. Yes, pay attention to your body. Um, there are all kinds of other oils out there that are designed specifically for internal use. And I do, I recommend an oil-based lube to folks that have really dry tissue. Uh, an oil can feel super moisturizing, really rich, and give a lot back to that kind of brittle tissue, like tissue of the labia and the internal vaginal canal, stuff that doesn't feel like your regular skin that's covering the rest of your body. Oil can be super, super juicy for that kind of delicate tissue to give some of its oomph back. Um, and it's a little more long lasting than water. Uh, mm -hmm. Water-based lubes are the most common kind of lube. There's water-based lube across the gamut of ingredients, scents, flavors, thickness, thinness. Like there are a million kinds of water-based lube out there. There are some big key ingredients to look out for if you're shopping for a water-based lube and you want to be real gentle on your skin. And those, I'll, I'll list them here for anyone who's taking notes, um, are parabens, glycerin, and propylene glycol. Uh, specifically glycerin can act like a sugar, which we know sugar and vaginas, not Yeast big bad. fans of each other. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I would avoid uh, using anything glycerin based or that <clears throat> has glycerin in it. Parabens are actually, parabens are not allowed in most things designed for kids, but they are allowed in things designed for vaginas, which doesn't make any sense for safety. <laughs> um, but there is some inconclusive link to parabens and breast cancer. So in general, we're like, you know, Stay the away. link might be inconclusive, but let's just not, let's just not do that. Um, so I'd recommend staying away there. It is, it's used as a preservative. It extends the shelf life, but there's plenty of loops without it. And propylene glycol can be an irritant. So we want to stay away from those big three. And then there are plenty, plenty of lubes of all kinds out there available to you um, that don't have any of those in them. So places like Shebop, we sell. Yeah, do your yeah. research. Buy tiny, buy tiny bottles to exactly. start. Find out what works for you. Yeah. Um, Sliquid is one of my favorite brands. Mm -hmm. And I know they have a ton of stuff. But we do have to take another quick break. And mm -hmm. we have so much more fun stuff to talk about when we get back. So stay with us. And we'll be back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444. Or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for sticking with us today. I'm Michelle Beck, and I'm here with Gretchen, a sex educator. So many important things that we still need to talk about in a little bit of time. So we've talked about lube, and I know Gretchen could talk all day about lube, but we're also going to dig into some fun toys and other things that might be used. Um, For me personally, I know if you're not quite ready for toys, um, when I was first going through this, I I asked my practitioners, um, I went to a doctor here in Portland who was like known as like the, the guy and doctor or whatever. And we talked about doing, um, some dilators. So mm-hmm. for me, it was kind of a, if I didn't use it, it, everything wasn't working quite as well. So that's something that I did. I went to Shebop and I found sets of dilators and that I used over, you know, a course of time, they come in four or five different sizes and you use them for prescribed periods of time. And that was something that definitely helped me and um, can re- I know is, is helpful, but what about, what are the other things once, once you get past that point where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling better. My things seem to be working a little better. What else can you do to pull into the bed for more fun? Great question. Yeah, I, many people get prescribed dilators or suggested dilators. And I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, Shebop does carry many sets of dilators. And you can really use almost anything as a dilator, anything that is designed to be inserted vaginally that is a size and shape that works for you. You can use for dilation, even if you're not mm-hmm. ready to feel like super sexy. I'm going to do this for fucking. Oh, yeah. It, it, sure it, was, it wasn't a sexy thing. This was <laughs> yeah. like, okay, yeah, honey, like- I'm using my dilators. This is for us in the long term, but you know, just because yeah. I'm pulling out what you think might look like a dildo, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> like, yeah, this it's is for me. It's, this therapy. is my work. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. But um, there are, I would definitely recommend the use of vibrators. You can also, you can also use a vibrator for a non-sexy purpose. You can use a vibrator as part of your return to function care. Mm-hmm. Um, insofar as vibration is awesome for bringing blood to an area. Blood flow, right? uh, yeah. Blood flow, stimulating the nerves, getting sensation back and or regulating sensation. Um, so nerve sensation, if you put something onto something and it causes pain, we don't want to like cause something a lot of pain, but reducing the amount of like shock kind of feeling. If you can put a low rumbly vibration on something, you might help the nerve receptors regulate. So mm-hmm. using vibration either to bring tissue back into function or help it chill out uh, down into being used to being touched again, vibrators can be great for that. And also hopefully you get the side benefit of vibration feeling awesome and sexy and maybe giving you some orgasms or some pleasure along the way. Mm -hmm. Um, There are all different kinds of vibrators out there, many different shapes and sizes. You could even triple whammy and get a small vibrator that you could use as a dilator and then turn on to use externally for pleasure against a clitoris, something like that. There's all kinds of options available to you, but there are vibrators that are super strong. There are vibrators that are super gentle. There are some that have a broad surface area they cover and some that are really pinpoint. And all of those, it, it is up to individual preference and personal need in that. 
But I will say it, it's common once you go through chemo, surgery, radiation, anything along those lines to have your sensation needs change quite a bit. So some people become more sensitive. Some people become less sensitive. You might mm -hmm. need a different kind of sensation than you previously had, which can be a great opportunity to get yourself a new sex toy. Try something out. <laughs> it's, it's once you, once you get through the like, okay, I don't want to do this. Like, no, now I do. It's a good opportunity for you and your partner to explore together. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can, you can go shop together. You can search online together. Um, she bought the shop.com. <laughs> um, and you can really find things that you think might work for you guys as a couple. Yeah. And there are plenty of or, other or individually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. There are plenty of other ways to regain intimacy and try new fun things too, in case that if that genital focus feels too focused, right? Like we're talking about that you want to continue to get some blood flow and some action to the area so that we don't lose it over time. But also it doesn't have to be like, oh my God, I need to get my vagina functioning for penetration immediately. Like there are all kinds of fun things that can feel good, that can foster pleasure and foster connection whether or not you return back to penetrative sex or you're interested in penetrative sex in the first place. So even like we were just talking about using vibrators externally, but also things like introducing kink play, um, mm -hmm. whether that is psychological, creating like new sexy ways to talk to your partner and explore things that feel sexy, even removed from your physical body in that way. Or I've known plenty of people that uh, post a large, uh, something that happened in their life that changed their relationship to their body, becoming interested in things like bondage or impact play, new ways to connect to a body that feels new, that allows them to regain a sense of control and connection that's totally different from what they were doing before. Starting something, that. yeah, starting something totally new um, in this new body can be fun and, and create new routes for communication as well. One thing that brings to mind, I had a class in college. I went to UC Santa Barbara. Um, it was a husband and wife professors, the Baldwins. And I still remember to this day, everybody wanted to take this class. It was sociology 152A, um, sexuality and the human body. And I mean, full, I mean, we had the, you know, 400 page textbook. We watched videos of masturbation up on the screen, like childbirth, all kinds of things. But one thing that has stuck with me 30 years later, they did something called sensate focus mm -hmm. where it is, it's not your, you know, you're with your, with a partner and a, it's not, you know, focused on your genitals. It's focused on everywhere else. That's not sexual. And you spend a certain amount of time just touching your partner's body and just getting to know that you know, that body again. And it's amazing what that can lead to, mm. but just it's, it really fosters intimacy because you, you know, you're, you're touching so many, you know, you're just really getting to know that other person's body. Mm. And, uh, it, it's struck with it, you know, has stuck with me all these years. And that, that is something that I can recommend. Um, you know, I know enough to be dangerous in this category. <laughs> so, but yeah, um, absolutely. That sensate focus is, it's a huge thing that people in sex therapy will offer as a treatment tool as well and to foster connection. And one piece of it that I really like also is that it takes some of the focus, like you said, off of the genitals, but it also takes the focus off of the person um, as we're talking about as the person with the vagina, having to be a receptive partner and being able to also experience touching your partner and touching for the pleasure of touching. 
and experiencing what it feels like underneath your fingertips to touch your partner's skin or to massage their scalp, like that kind of pleasure, I think is a complete flip-flop onto this focused pleasure of being like, okay, I need to get my orifices ready to be penetrated again. You know, it, it really <laughs> turns that on its head on its head and slows it down, which I think is incredibly valuable. Now, what about things like um, just increasing intimacy, like um, watching sex positive porn together? Totally. Yeah. I, though, I think that that is a, is a great option. Those are, I would lump like erotica, porn, reading sexy stories, telling sexy stories into the category of a sexual excitation system. Mm -hmm. So they are, they're gas pedal kind of things. Um, but they're also intimacy builders. If we're that can break down some of those walls into um, the walls blocking us from being vulnerable and communicating with our partners. So being able to witness something on a screen or hear something in a story sometimes allows us to open our own communication and say like, Oh, remember when we saw that thing or like, Oh, that's kind of cool. What they're doing right there. Would you want to try that with me? <laughs> and you know, maybe we're not going to have that quite not that cheesy of a conversation, um, but, but you, you know what, if it works and if it opens if it works, the it works. door. <laughs> yeah. 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 So being able to, it, I think it's twofold. If the gas pedal um, is a thing that you're ready for, it can pump that into you and get you ready for um, a sexual experience in that way. But it can also help just, ex just to experience something sexual with your partner, even if it's outside of your own physical body, being able to like open the door into intimacy and talking about sex and experiencing sex together externally. Um, I, I was listening. I'm a podcast junkie. And there was an ad on one of them. There is an app now for erotica. Um, and okay. it, you, you subscribe and you get like new stories every day or something like that. I'm like Amazing. that you could, you could listen to something like that together or even <laughs> read, um, you know, erotica to each other. Mm -hmm. I, I was a huge Anne Rice fan back in the day and she wrote a series of books. Um, oh gosh, sleeping beauty books. There's three books and there's a lot of, um, bondage in there and erotica and, you know, sex play. And at the time I was in my early twenties reading it like, Oh my gosh. And I would blush, but mark that desire again. Um, well, you know, once, once I get going, I'm like, okay, I, you know, think things are going, but mm -hmm. it's, it's, I just don't have that hormone, those hormones for the spontaneous. Yeah. Hey, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I think one thing also an extra step beyond just reading erotica is writing erotica and you can write your own. You could write a whole story if you wanted, but if that feels intense, like sexy texting or writing down a couple lines of something. And if you can making it personal to your own body of like, if there's parts of your body that feel different or a little bit out of touch or whatever, writing a few lines of erotica that relate to your own body as it is right now, focusing on the parts that you like or leaving behind the parts that you don't and being able to eroticize your own body and your own experience can be a hugely sexy and liberating thing to do. It's funny because people, they make fun of, you know, sexting and, and all that stuff, but it, you know, it really it's like, it's just remember when you go back to that first time where you're, where you're dating someone and say, if you're in a relationship now, you've been in for a long time, think things definitely change. And especially after cancer, but if you can kind of go back and remember that, like that early spark and how you got there and it's like, oh, you're texting or, you know, like, oh, Hey, I can't wait to do this later. And I can't wait to see you later. That, that I think that definitely can help us now, you know, conquer some of the issues that we're having because it gets you excited again to mm -hmm. figure out the new 
the new bodies that we have and and we can't change it. We can't go back. So the only thing we can do is go forward and make the best use of what we have now to have a healthy and, you know, healthy, intimate life with our partner or with many partners, you know, yeah. who, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Who yeah. Knows? And it's a huge, like being as a partner of someone, in case we've got some partners listening this morning, you know, our it's a great opportunity as Michelle was just talking about to be supportive one in whatever way your partner needs that it, that mm-hmm. is not a one size fits all kind of thing. And not everyone wants their body hypersexualized or talked about a lot, but once you understand the the boundaries and the understanding of how your partner would like or need to be supported, offering validation and reassurance and a real team mindset moving mm-hmm. forward, I think can be a, just the, a, a key to unlocking moving forward in sexuality and intimacy while we're in a support role of for reminding ourselves that our partners are not broken. Our partners are not lost. Like we love these people, these sexy, sexy people that we are still in these relationships with and that we can help by being there, being present, not being afraid. And if we are afraid, voicing that fear in the mindset of that we're a team and we want what's best for us as a team and helping recreate this, uh, recreate or create a new sense of intimacy with our partner on the other side. Because as you just mentioned, Michelle, like we can't go back, we can't change it. We can mourn for things that we've lost, but we can also embrace and be excited about the things that are to come. And that it opens up all of these new routes of exploration and learning about each other new ways to connect and uh, new ways to find intimacy together and, and build something really beautiful. I think that it's a powerful change of perspective uh, to welcome change and to embrace change and being able to grow together rather than being stuck in what we've lost. Oh, that is so perfect. And I, I think that's the, it's an amazing way to wrap up everything we've talked about today, because unfortunately we're out of time. So Gretchen, tell us again, how to find, how to find you, Shebop, all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you can find Shebop at SheboptheShop.com. As we talked about, we're also on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, all those things. All the um, things. Shebop the Shop is us. Um, we do, I'm our education coordinator at Shebop and we have a million bazillion classes coming up all through the fall and winter and they are all through Zoom so people can join us from anywhere. And we've got topics, all kinds of things. We will hopefully be doing another sex and cancer chat with me and my mother sometime before the end of 2021. Um, awesome, but got, I'm definitely gonna find that and post all those things. Yeah, so. absolutely. So feel free to join us for future classes um, and, and find us for shopping online. Awesome, Gretchen. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, great. And so needed. But listeners out there, thank you. Listeners, if you need our services, please go to breastfriends.org. You can donate by texting BF Radio to 41444 to help Breast Friends continue on its mission to assure that women don't go through cancer alone. If you would like to be a guest or share your story, email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org. Remember, we rise by lifting each other. We'll be back next week. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Please join Michelle Beck again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We rise by lifting each other.